The Zooier Than Thou podcast is intended for adult audiences and contains mature language and content. It may not be suitable for younger audiences, so if you're too young to remember the tour de force that was Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, maybe this one's not for you. Welcome, ghouls and goblins. Gather around the campfire. It's time for Zooier Than Thou! Greetings, fellow zoos, and welcome to a very spiritual episode of Zooier Than Thou. I'm Tigle, your guide to the other side of the veil. And I'm Kinophile, the devilish dog dick devotee and dungeon master. <laughs> and we'll be your hosts this Hallow's Eve. Let me just say that we're delighted that you have nothing better to do than spend Halloween with us. Yeah, what are you going to do? Go to a Halloween party? Trick or treat? TP your neighbor's house? If you are also doing any of those things, you'd better be masked up. And not just that $12 latex werewolf mask from Spirit Halloween. Or that incredibly expensive fursuit head you already have trouble breathing in. Honestly, just stay home, eat the candy in your pumpkin-shaped bowl, and cuddle your four-legger friends. We'll make it worth your time. We have some wonderful Halloween skits, a whole slew of emails, and a very special memorial ritual for those who are on the other side of the veil. That veil won't stay thin for long, so let's get a move on. Right. Here's our first email from Dog. Just Dog? Yes, this is Dog. Yes, I am Dog. <laughs> dog writes in about the psychological costs of growing up without a zoo community. Dear Zoot, he begins, I just finished Season 2, Episode 6, Healthy, Happy, and Zooey 2020. It was beautiful. It bordered on transcendent. And it was a kick in the gut. I love my dog. There's nothing I would not give for him, but... As I listened to all your richness and wealth of zoophile wisdom and heard about the depth and sophistication of your relationships with your dogs, I started to realize just how profoundly stunted my relationship with my dog is. It kind of felt like the bottom dropping out of my world. Now don't get me wrong, I beat the hell out of the average non-zoo dog owner for what little that's worth. My dog enjoys love, play, frequent walks, interaction, good food, the best of healthcare, and let's not get started on the sex. But, listening to you, I realize that there's so much more about him that I've been blind to. Late is far better than never, but it feels so unfair that I've lost so many years of learning and emotional and spiritual intimacy through simple blindness and ignorance and the lack of opportunity to be shown that there was ever even something there to learn. I would give anything, anything at all except the love of my dog, to have been able to have had this kind of zoo community when I was awakening as a zoo. If I'd had you then, I would have understood from the start how far I had to go, and how much joy there could be in the journey, and my whole path could have been infinitely clearer and kinder. Instead, I had to try and cope alone in a world that seemed to be one of universal condemnation, and I can see now that I grew up with my sexuality malformed and stunted like the mind of a neglected pup. I did the best I could with what little I could figure out on my own, but frankly, it wasn't enough. I had no ethical framework to develop in, and I wasn't one of those people who have the insight and integrity to develop one on their own. I've treated dogs clumsily and desperately and 
shamefully and fearfully. Dogs have barked at me and shied away from me because they could read my guilt and fear, plain as day. For years, every interaction I had with a dog, sexual or not, was poisoned by shame and self-recrimination. And the emotional scar tissue distorts and restricts my interactions with dogs to this day. Even now, there's an edge of nervousness when I deal with dogs, no matter how much I'm dedicated to their love and fulfillment. I want to make it clear that I'm pretty certain I have never caused a dog major pain or distress, but in the past I sure as hell have done things that I now know are completely unacceptable in any reasonable zoophile morality. I have to carry that like a hidden mark of cane whenever I go to the zoo community. Those acts and their shame are on me. But if I'd had a community when I needed one, they likely would have never happened at all. There's hope, of course. It's not too late. I learn and grow, and little by little I erode away the scars and seek a cleaner, more joyful relationship with my loved one. You and other zoos are vital to that, and I thank you and love you for it. But I'm starting with handicaps and scars that my younger self should never have had to bear. On behalf of that younger self, and whoever out there is in the same position now, don't you folks fucking dare stop what you're doing. I would prefer other young zoos aren't in my position, but some will be, and they need this community. Not just for an accepting world in the future, though that helps, but even right now, to provide an oasis of insight and guidance and morality, and yes, socialization, in a world that often wants to keep zoophiles divided and broken and alone. To everyone who helps a young zoo find their rightful place in human and non-human society, thank you. You're doing one of the most important things in the world. That was very touching. Yeah. It does remind me of just how much better it seems things have gotten, even from when I was first coming to my own as a zoo. Right, Because right. at the time, there was not all that much that I could find anyway. Um, just mm. beast forum and, like, odd... Brazilian or Russian porn sites. That was <laughs> it. Oh my god, it was like a dark Brazilian age. porn sites. Oh my oh god. god. <laughs> <laughs> they were terrible and they just loaded like oh three no. pixels a minute. Whatever. But <laughs> the point is uh, just the community has gotten so many different, better ways to connect with each other in genuine ways and to mm. support each other or talk or play games or whatever things they need to do so right. i'm just glad that like there's so much more information available to yeah. us especially since mm -hmm. as you say we're all human we're all learning and having that right. kind of avenue lets us learn better from each other's mistakes well yeah you know i kind of wanted to jump on that point that you know we are all human even the ones that are on this show and none of us even the show's contributors are perfect so you know something you said earlier about how here the depth and sophistication of our relationships with our dogs like i am humbled by that but i also know that i don't meet up i don't meet the ideals that i wish i did um you know I, i'm not perfect uh there are things that i want to change and you know over time i do change them but even in the past I don't know, year and a half or so that we've been doing the podcast, I've grown so much from from doing it and from being around these people that I get the privilege to be around. Um, you know, for instance, like I didn't actually stop eating meat until the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, I thought about it before. Like, man, that's just going to be impossible for me. I can't do it. My entire diet is chicken nuggets and hamburgers. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wendy's. Uh, oh, man. I, I know, do miss a four for four. But if yep. they made it with vegan meat, I would be all over it. Of course. Um, but that took time and it took the community. And, and even even before that, for like, what, maybe 31 years I was still eating meat, and so, you know, that's part of my ideal of being a zoo. It may not be part of everyone's ideal, but it is part of my ideal, mm-hmm. and I certainly wasn't living up to it until recently. Um, and, you know, I'm not completely vegan, I'm not going to lie. I have not found a good substitute for pizza yet. Uh, I just <laughs> can't find a good one yet, but I'm working towards that goal. And like you said, you know, little by little, you grow every day. You get a little bit better. Um, my dependence mm-hmm. on animal products is shrinking, and over time that'll be good. But that's just one example. Like, yeah, so much. I, you know, when I met Doug, I felt the same way. I think that dog, dog, and Doug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are uh, the same I felt person? The, no. Are, oh no, I don't oh, think so. <laughs> okay. When I met Doug for the first time, that's kind of how I felt. Like I had, I had missed out on so much. And so I'm glad that our podcast can be the, you know, the ignition towards being a better zoo for people. But I also don't want you to feel like you have this mark of Cain. Like, mm. Everyone makes mistakes and we can learn from your mistakes just as much as you can learn from the things that we do well. Mm-hmm. And the things you can learn from our mistakes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the benefit of community, the benefit of having multiple people helping to enforce a moral framework. I mean, even with, mm-hmm. with human stuff, non-zoo stuff, that's kind of how it works is you need you need the community to, to give you the moral framework you need. Of course. And I would just add that in an example like this and really in any moral question, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm. It's really easy to get hung up on a particular set of principles and then say, well, I am not doing this at all correctly, so why bother? Why but bother? that's not... It doesn't work that way. You right. All you need to do, really, to be a better person is just be a little bit better day by day. And yes. to listen to and try to understand what's going on around you and mm. see just how far you can get just with incremental changes over time. Right. Being a better person is not something that just happens overnight. It really does take time and effort, and it really does take community support. So, yeah, um, I'm happy to be a part of that support. That's mm-hmm. really an honor for me, to be honest. So, thank you very much. Of course, yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable and and for allowing us to be vulnerable in return. Mm. Here's one from Zen, who says, "Keep them coming." Zen writes found you by word of mouth from a friend and after listening i decided to tell my two close friends who talked shit about zoos that i support the zoo movement it went all right one told me his own story and the other we agreed to disagree and moved on to other topics thanks again for all the hard work as it truly shows yeah man i i've said it before and i'll say it again these sorts of emails are a huge motivator for our production team if we can have a positive impact on even one zoo's life it's worth the toil. And so to hear from so many of you, it's a huge boon. Yeah, and congrats on having the kinds of relationships where you can be open about those sorts of things with your friends, even if they don't agree. Mm-hmm. I recently read 
a post on Zoo Community, actually, where someone was struggling with exactly that. Friends around them who talk mad shit about zoos and make them feel lesser. Mm -hmm. You don't have to come out as a zoo to tell people you don't appreciate the way they talk about zoos. So I hope your success inspires others to forge relationships with people that they can actually be open with. Mm -hmm. Here's one from Lisa, who writes, Mm -hmm. Hey all, I just wanted to say thank you for your podcast. I'm a regular listener. Thank you for the Zeta episode, as I'm a donor slash member. Nice. I was happy to see our European organization on your podcast. I also liked the episode 7, as I feel that we are often underrepresented in the Zoom media. Mm. Greetings from Berlin, Lisa. Oh, yeah. It is so cool to hear from someone involved with Zeta Fine. I also agree that women are vastly underrepresented in Zooey media and at the community in general. You know, even on our podcast, it can be a bit of a struggle to give that sort of representation, but we do try. So, Lisa, if you or any other ladies listening would like to be involved in our humble production, we would be indebted. And even if not, thank you so much for listening and stay defiant. Absolutely. And I, in particular, would love to have a woman's voice involved just Mm. musically. Ah, like imagine yes. a romantic duet or a let it go uh, style ballad that would be fantastic <laughs> to hear oh yeah oh, that'd be great yeah and you know what else would be kind of cool a project mm. completely run by zooey women where mm-hmm. they can amplify their voices on their own terms oh yeah we would definitely support that kind of project any way we could yeah uh here's another short one from canid smith canid uh, smith of the famous smith family zoos but is that a thing i want it to be <laughs> Well, uh, judging by this email, I sincerely doubt it. Canid mm. writes, I've taken the chance to finally explore more into this side of who I am, and I wanted to thank you for the hours of content I'll be listening to through headphones at work. But where would I go to interact with other zoos online? I'm anxious about jumping into tweets with people I don't know, and am not smart or experienced enough with anything beyond some light oral with my family dogs when I was younger to argue with anti-zoos. Is there a more safe area for me to get to know people? Might I recommend this episode's sponsor, zoocommunity.org. It's a fairly small forum as of now, discussion-based, and relatively safe if you follow basic internet safety protocols. Mm -hmm. There's even a blog post about internet security and creating a zoo identity, and plenty of reminders around the site about staying secure online. I think you'll find that it's kind of cozy and... We hope that vibe will continue as it grows. Also, you don't have to have any sexual experiences with animals to be a valid zoo Mm. or to be a part of the conversation. Mm. Not only are there zoos who choose to abstain from sex, but there's plenty of people who are attracted to animals but aren't in close enough proximity to them to forge these kinds of bonds. Yeah, and let me also say this. Arguing with anti-zoos is a waste of time. Full stop. Yep. Twitter thrives on these kinds of confrontations, but... The fact of the matter is that they're there to wear you down, back you into corners with disingenuous arguments, and make you feel like no one in the world is in your court. You don't actually gain from getting into prolonged arguments with every anti-zoo on Twitter who vomits up a comet on your thread. No, you don't. It is very much a waste of time. Now, I personally do find it fun to occasionally rile someone especially (laughs) heinous on there. Uh, But uh, it's a bit like alcohol. It can be fine every once in a while, but the more you use it, especially regularly, the worst off you'll be. Oh, uh, yeah. That said, it does seem to be the nature of Twitter, so we can understand why you wouldn't want to go there. It is not a safe or welcoming place in a lot of ways. Right. But zoocommunity.org is. 
I'd like to see it grow into a useful resource for zoos who maybe are off put by the atmosphere of Zooville and are searching for more community rather than pornography. Mm-hmm. Porn is great, of course, but <laughs> there may be some value in separating your porn resource from the place where you discuss zooey topics. Hmm. I hope that helps, Kanan. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do one more. Here's right. one from New to You, who wants to say thank you. New to writes, thank you for your show. I only just found it and started listening from the beginning. But it is helpful to hear the zoo positivity. Hmm. After mentioning Uniquely Dangerous, I got the book and read it that day. Wow. Thank you for being activists in this hidden part of my soul. Aw. Short hmm. and sweet. Thank you for taking the time to write in. Uniquely Dangerous can be something of a dark read, but hmm. I hope it lights a fire in you the way it did for a lot of us here at the podcast. And never forget that the subject of that book helped found this project on the basis of zoo positivity. So stay defiant, you two. Take us out, Kinophile. We'll be back with more zooey goodness right after this word from our sponsors. This week's podcast is sponsored by zoocommunity.org. Don't act like you're surprised to hear it. We said it like five minutes ago. If you're looking for a friendly, positive, discussion-focused zoo atmosphere, give zoocommunity.org a try and tell them Zooier Than Thou sent you in your introduction. And also by Howling Harry's Haunted Hedge Maze, featuring actual werewolves thanks to this year's full moon. And yes, fellas, they're gonna be horny. Be sure to wear clothes you don't mind having ripped off your body as you're thrust to the ground and mounted by a howling beast. Howling Harry's Horny Hedge Maze, a uh, haunted hedge maze. Halloween night only. And finally, COVID-19. Keeping you at home on Halloween so we can keep you company. Just don't let it keep you from voting if you're in America. Vote down the ballot, not just for president. Seriously. If you're sick of this bullshit, winner-take-all fuck show, vote down the ballot and put people in office who can change how we do things. And another thing... (laughs) This dumb dog... Hey now, you be nice to Shiloh. I've told you about the young man who turned into a dog, haven't I? Yes, ma'am. You don't want Shiloh to tell Hecate you're wicked. What do you mean? Dogs are her sacred messengers. She knows all through their eyes, so you'd better treat them well. Shiloh, come, sit over here. And you, help me tend to this dough. Fine. What's wrong with her anyway? Mm. Seems like she took a nasty fall, but with some care and rest, she'll be right as rain in a couple of weeks. Will you fetch me the salve? Yes, ma'am. You there! Hey now, you'll startle her. Just a moment and I'll be with you. See how she communes with the beast, sir. Aye, I see it with my own eyes. There's no doubt that we're in the presence of a witch. A witch? That's preposterous. What's going on? And there's her ward. The young shapeshifter. I've seen him in Congress with one of the sheep on my farm. What? You both stand accused of unholy acts of witchcraft. It's all right, Shiloh. There. That dog is her familiar, sir. I've seen her whispering to him. Shiloh? My familiar? Are you all right, sir? 
Perhaps you've come under some sort of delusion. You dare accuse a man of madness when the truth is evident before our very eyes? Ugh. You dare accuse a woman of witchcraft for having a dog and helping an injured animal? You dare accuse this young man of being a shapeshifter because you witnessed two sheep in sexual congress? Which of us sounds mad? <laughs> Pray tell. Well, I've seen her. With my own eyes I did. Well, I've seen her lay with a beast. He is her link to the devil, I'm certain of it. There is no doubt, witch. You sit among beasts as if you're one of them. You shun that beautiful wall that gives man his divine dominion over all others that walk the earth. All this you've inferred because a woman is tending to an injured animal on the farm she calls home. If you're so confident, come stand trial and make your case before a judge. Who shall tend to my animals in our absence? Sir, those animals are most certainly tainted by her witchcraft. But his whole farm... We have no choice but to burn them. I'm afraid you're right. Worry not about these animals in your sordid care. It's plain to see that you are guilty of witchcraft and- You presume to tell me of your intent to destroy my home and murder the people I love. And you think I'm just going to go along with it? She called them people, sir. You don't have a choice. I'll burn you where you stand, witch. You shall be still. Listen well, wretched men. Henceforth, you belong to me. Leave this place and return to your homes. You shall never speak again of what happened here. You shall never condemn anyone who calls this place home. You shall protect this place and its people, human or beast with your very lives. Such is my will, and you shall carry it out. Have I made myself clear? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Do you think they're really going to do what you say? Fear not. They are now in my thrall, and they have no choice. I really did visit that man's farm. I know. You, You do? Don't worry. What happens in the fields is between you and the sheep. Sal? Oh, right. I thought we were going to die. If my will weren't as strong as it is, we likely would have. Lucky for us, they weren't entirely wrong about us. Another woman might not have been so lucky. Yeah. I wish things weren't this bad. One day, I hope. You'll learn how to enact your will upon this world. But until then, Shiloh is listening. Shiloh? He's one of Hecate's messengers, after all. If you whisper your will into his ear, one day, Hecate will hear it. My will? You have the power to shape this world, if your will is strong enough. I hope you'll find the courage to believe in that power. In the meantime, there is much work to be done here. Come. She needs some time alone after such a fright. Come on, Chilo. Have you seen the eyes pen? Have you heard the cry of pain? Have you felt the aching hunger? And tears falling away? Can we find a hopeful tomorrow? Can we find a hell? 
Thee, O spirit Glacia Lavalas, armed with the Lord's might, I strongly command thee, by God unto whom all creatures be obedient, I do exercise thee and do powerfully command thee, O spirit Glacia Lavalas, that thou dost forthwith appear unto me before this circle. Come thou, O spirit Glacia Lavalas, forthwith and make rational answers unto all things that I shall demand of thee. Come thou peaceably visibly and affably now and without delay, manifesting that which I shall desire. Elan te par secore anca glacia labalas. You mortals think so highly of yourselves. The Lord's might indeed. <laughs> Look at you. Quaking there in your robes, I can smell your fear. Not to mention you. Huh. Interesting. It w worked? I thought all this stuff was made up. But there you are, golden fur and wings and all. You're a little short for a president of hell, Glacia Labalas. <laughs> Call me Labby, please. Those ancient grimoires always make my kind out to be monsters. One even describes me as the author of bloodshed and manslaughter. Ha! As if your kind weren't perfectly capable of that on your own. That one also says you cause the love both of friends and foes? Ah, so you've read it through. That part, I'm glad to say, it's true. Is this what you desire, mortal? Yes! Er... Yes. Your... Your eminence? Labby! Labby. Uh, I've always struggled to find love and respect. I'm begging you. Teach me to gain the love of others, to know their desires, and be able to satisfy them. <sighs> yes. I can smell your need. It is unusual, and yet, I doubt you know yourself what you want. I can do this for you, mortal. If you open yourself to your love, no matter who they might be. Of course. Whoever she is, I'll devote myself to her, heart and soul. <laughs> yes. And there is one more thing 
to seal the pact, an ancient rite of respect between the supplicant and their superior. Osculum Infame. Osculum Infame? <laughs> the kiss of shame, though the shame lies with those who judge it thoughtlessly. Just a kiss under the tail, and the bargain is struck. Pucker up. Ugh. Seriously? Labby, do you even have a... Oh. You do? <laughs> well, it looks clean. Do you even eat? Hmm. Your fur is warm. <laughs> is that rosemary? Huh. Well, here goes nothing. There you are, mortal. Get deep in there. Oh, I knew you'd love it in the end. One last kiss before I depart. On the lips this time. Just for me. Mm. Yes, Labby. More, you devil. Mm. There you are, stud. Now, go forth and find your golden love. What? What was that? Was that me? Was that him? Did Labby really kiss me? And did I kiss him back? Tucker, get off him. Get off the nice man. Sorry about that. He gets really excited around new people. I haven't seen you in this trail before. I'm Max, and the golden boy here is Tucker. Golden? Tucker, huh? Nice to meet you both. <laughs> Looks like you made a friend, boy. Come on, let's keep going. No, wait. Uh, could I join you? We could chat while we walk to get to know each other. And, uh, tire Tucker out some? Well, Tucker's taken a liking to you, and he's a fairly good judge of character. So, you come walking here often? Thomas found the love he was looking for that day. He and Tucker and Max got to be good friends. And more than friends, enjoying a simple life together. Well, they enjoyed long walks in the woods, warm nights by the fire. He could never be sure if he'd hallucinated the winged dog demon that day in the woods. But he couldn't deny that when he saw his golden boy, he felt the same thrill in his heart he longed for all his life. A thrill he could only find in the Zooey Zone. Welcome back, Creatures of the Night. How are you enjoying your Halloween so far? I don't know. Halloween is actually a week away from me. Oh, shh. Don't ruin the magic. Oh. For our listeners, it's like we're right there with them. Ah, our essence transported through time and space to be with each and every one of you, whenever and wherever you are. That's the magic of recorded media. We become a part of your lives, and through this medium, we're like old friends who've never met. It really is kind of intimate, isn't it? I suppose that's a good word for it. A bit of a one-sided relationship, like when you subscribe to a YouTuber and get to be a part of their everyday lives, and they only ever know you through the comments section. <laughs> Remember to be kind to your favorite content creators, 
And remember to write in so we can get to know you a little bit, too. Yeah, speaking of, let's get back to the mailbag. Here's a message from Spade Unspade. Uh, now, wait, that's Spade, like the card suit? Uh, correct. And Unspade, as in still intact. That's right. <laughs> Clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves an unspade spade. Mm. Spade on spade writes, Hi, hello, someone's there. I wanted to say, first of all, that everyone involved in this show does a fantastic job and the humor is much appreciated. Though I have not yet made many connections within the zoo community, I am increasingly drawn in by what I'm finding and the viewpoints, particularly concerning the agency of non-humans, resonates deeply with me. It is also great to learn of your repulsion at Beast Forum. I was a member on there briefly, but there was really no love and community to be found in it, and hence my greater exploration into this community and simultaneously myself were stymied for a few years before I decided to join Zooville and was pleasantly surprised. Since I joined the forum two weeks ago, I've met a couple individuals who truly understand what it is I spend my waking hours working so hard for, and it has given me validation and a sense of belonging that I can never quite find among my many esteemed non-zoo acquaintances. I now believe that despite being aware of my zoophilia since prepubescence, I have been unintentionally denying this wonderful avenue to finding affinity that greatly transcends any empirical human connection as I've come to understand it. Love is what I got. Between spending time on the forums and listening to this and Zoo Stories 1 episode, It has helped bring to light not only an entirely new version of myself that is more driven by love, as opposed to the former self driven greatly by anger, and also I believe I may be experiencing a legitimate shift in my sexuality away from human girls and on to doggy girls. Mm. Mm. It's so exciting to be where I am in life right now, and I'm so glad that you all have been and will continue to be a part of this era of awakening in my life. I am looking forward to becoming a more regular and prominent fixture in this excellent zoo community. Wow, Spade. Uh, thank you for writing in with this heartfelt message. Hmm. I agree that too many people, even zoos, look at animals as something lesser than humans, or barely pay attention to them at all. Hmm. But we're learning more about this all the time. Hmm. If you're interested in more about non-human agency, there are lots of good books and articles on the topic. Uh, Mm. One good starting point would be Peter Singer's Animal Liberation, which gives the idea serious moral weight. Mm. Also, I'd be remiss not to mention another zoo podcast you can listen to, Bestia Amore, which has been Mm. discussing this somewhat in depth lately. Uh, They've been exploring a topic that they call the mammalities, which is sort of the idea of giving non-human animals more choice in their lives and recognizing them as the complex individuals with social lives and cultures we all know them to be. Mm. Uh, You can find them on YouTube, and also I believe they just got their Twitter account reinstated, so that's good. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what their Twitter account is. uh, I think it's at BAPC, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) since the well-deserved death of Beast Forum, the community has been growing and expanding in a lot of new directions. I mean, Mm. Zooville is also a pretty good place to find zoos of many different stripes, as well as a few zoos in your local area to chat with. I mean, Mm. there may be some duds to wade through, but I found a a few Mm -hmm. 
good acquaintances and friends through the community there. Yeah, there's uh, lots of good zoos there. Uh, it's it is currently the largest zoo forum online. So, mm-hmm. um, you know that comes with pros and cons. One of the pros is that there are a lot of good zoos, and then of course there's the cons where when you are that big, inevitably there are people you're going to run into that you don't particularly care for. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. I'm so I'm thrilled that you have had such a good experience with that website. So yeah, of course. And I'm also happy that you're discovering more about yourself and learning to accept mm. yourself. I mean, I, like a lot of people, had to struggle for a while through a sort of depression and paranoia f- uh, phase mm. to before I learned to start using my zoo side to try to connect with people, both in the community and in general. Mm. And mm. being open, honest, and compassionate is a wonderful thing, no matter how you arrived at that point. Right. As for your evolving sexuality, it's healthy and normal for that to change over a lifetime, especially early on. And doggy girls are delightful, too. <laughs> yes. But the rules are the same, basically, no matter who you want your part- partner to be. Pay attention, put their pleasure first, and try your best to understand them and listen to them. Absolutely. 100% good advice. Very much mm-hmm. so. Sexuality, indeed, does evolve over time. And so I, I'm... Also happy that you're at a point where you can be open mm-hmm. to such evolutions in your sexuality, and I'm uh, glad we're able to help and that you were able to find a community to support you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for writing in. We look forward to seeing you around. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, here's a head scratcher from Grizzy of Texas. Grizzy writes, Dear Zerier Than Thou, do you think it'd be a good idea to start a campaign to make zoophilia bestiality legal so future generations of zoo don't have to hide and can find the right information needed to help guide them? At the current moment, if you search for zoophilia, you only find the negative side of things unless you know Zooville, Zooier Than Now, or Twitter. How would you fix this and improve the community? Mm. Hmm. Asking the tough questions, so mm-hmm. let's think about this one for a bit. Uh, first of all, yes. Legalizing bestiality and thereby helping to um, allow us to explore our sexuality in, legally in a, in a, in a, in a way that we can create materials for other people uh, to help them arrive at ethical decisions about their sexuality is imperative, I feel. Mm-hmm. So yes, there, there definitely needs to be a campaign to do that and in some countries there are hmm. uh, as sometime in the future we're going to be talking to someone who's who's working on that right now oh wow yeah and then uh, of course you know in germany they were able to do that so yeah. um big win there mm-hmm. a lot of places have bestiality laws that people don't quite understand yeah um sometimes that you know even though wikipedia says you know this place outlaws bestiality if you look at the fine print, it's like, we, we outlaw, I don't know, like animal brothels or something like that. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I support that. Right. There's a lot of fear about being open because of the legal implications in a lot of parts of the world. Yeah. And that does need to change. It really does. Recent uh, changes in the courts in the United States have made me a bit wary of that oh. happening in the short term through that avenue. But at the same right. time, I think that there are both ways of uh, going about that and also ways of generally trying to affect some kind of popular or cultural change on our own Mm. sort of to lay the groundwork for legal changes later on. Good point, yes. A lot of times uh, by changing the 
you'll change the culture's mind before you'll change the legal status. Yeah, it's very slow to respond, but it does get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the three main things that I would think of for doing that are community, culture, and science in some way. Yeah. So, you know, one is getting together with other people, talking to them, um, both other zoos and for those people who are comfortable with it, you know, non-zoos who they can trust with that kind of information, just so they can understand better, like, if someone has objections, what those might be. uh, And how we can overcome them. Yeah, possibly. Another one would be culture, which essentially the more positive exposure people have to zoos overall, I think the Mm. more they will the more they'll see it as somewhat benign or maybe a little wacky, but by no means like (laughs) dangerous criminal or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, you know, more stories, more songs, more of any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lastly, I guess there would be science, which is just, there are a lot of open questions about animal sexuality in general and how human beings and animals interact in that way. And I think that if there were some kind of larger study, for example, that showed, like, that Zoophile's partners genuinely did experience pleasure at seeing their, you know, partners walk in the door, comparable or even greater than that of the ordinary uh, pet guardian, I guess I'll call them, (laughs) um, then that would be a big step in the right direction to oppose the idea that oh these animals are so misused you're using them for sex that sort of thing because if they like it too then that's most of the problem I think one would have with it well I think uh, a lot of it I think there are other things um, I, I am of the impression that those are largely excuses and yeah. that there are some underlying actual reasons that we somehow have to to tackle but when you delegitimize those excuses then it becomes harder to be defensible so absolutely so there's another question here that's really that's actually the tough one here Uh um at the current moment if you search for zoophilia you only find the negative side of things unless you know what to look for Uh, how do we fix that um search engine optimization is a thing that is yes. likely <laughs> going to help. I don't know a lot about it. So if hmm. there's a zoo out there that's really great at SEO, you know, zoo, zoo and that would love to have your help mm-hmm. figuring that out. So, I mean, that's one thing. But the other thing is that um, with sites like Google and stuff, you know, the the first search results and the, and the things that are searched for mm-hmm. can vary by region. Oh, yeah. So uh, they can vary by what you normally look at. So that can, uh, you know, it, it's it's a tricky, it's a tricky business trying to do that. So yeah, yeah it's, it it's not an easy question to answer. Yeah, like generally getting the more positive information to pop up first is a problem that Google and other search engines and social media have in general. Just, mm. you know, negativity and... Flash tends to pop up first just because more people are interested in that sort of thing. But yeah, that people love said, the sordid can... tale of of 
So yeah. perverts. So like there was yes. a headline recently like pervert arrested for having sex with a dog or something mm. like that. Yeah. Uh, and you, people will click on that stuff and because they click on it and visit it and share it, mm-hmm. that stuff gets optimized. So Absolutely. So I suppose then part of the way to combat the narrative is to counter it with our own, to try to share positive stories, bump them up in search results and make them in some way more compelling. That is a difficult thing to do in general, but at the same time, it's definitely doable to some extent. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is one other huge barrier that we somehow need to overcome, Mm -hmm. and that is... I guess you could call it the publisher barrier. Yes, exactly. So even with things like Uniquely Dangerous, which was meticulously um, researched, the writing is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, Maloney had a publisher interested and then like, she had, I think she had an editor interested and then the publisher was like, absolutely not, we're not going to publish this. Um, I know another person that I've talked to who writes... Uh, more scientific articles Mm -hmm. mentioned that they have trouble getting publishers to pick up the articles they write about zoophilia and bestiality Mm -hmm. and that gatekeeping there is a problem for us and part of why actually we chose to decentralize with podcasts Mm -hmm. it's a medium that can't be just kind of knocked out yeah um, you know, for instance, people are trying to get us off YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if we succumbed and we're never on YouTube again, mm-hmm. um, we would still have our website, which can be accessed, and we, our, our podcast can be accessed on any podcast application just by typing in the RSS feed. You know, yeah. that doesn't go away. So we can't really be silenced. And that's kind of how we started. Uh, Best Year More had this problem, actually. Yes, they Where have. they chose... They chose to host their podcast on Anchor. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, within a couple of weeks, they were gone. From yeah. there, at least. That's um, that's true. That was very annoying to them. Uh, mm. They are, you know, on YouTube now, but the, the whole... The whole reliance on a larger infrastructure and publisher does make countercultural messaging more difficult. Doable, especially in the age of the internet, but it's something that one has to keep in mind. Right, and those larger publishing arenas often have the pull to have better search engine optimization to show up first. Mm -hmm. So overcoming that is something we have to figure out how to do, and I don't have the answer to it. Mm -hmm. But starting with decentralized media, like our podcast, Mm -hmm. um, creating your own resources, such as um, Zoophil's doing a zoo wiki. There's a a French uh, Mm -hmm. Zoophilia wiki, you know, because those are hosted without having to be... um, uh, you don't have to go through a service to do it. You yeah. can create it yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and then you legitimize it by, you know, monitoring it and making sure it's got good information. Of course, yeah. So that's where we start, I think. Well, thanks for the thoughtful question, Grizz. Uh, the next one is from Dogstar Days. Uh, Dogstar Days is curious about furries in the dominant society versus furries in the counterculture. Dogstar Days writes, Hi, Toggle. Oh, gosh, called me up by name. <laughs> Yeah. 
a couple of questions. Having been an anarchist most of my life and not having been extensively involved in the furry community, although I have been aware of it since the late 80s, I was wondering how you perceive zoos in mainstream society. I thought zoophilia had always been part of the counterculture, and I was very surprised when your show turned up on a mainstream site like YouTube. So I was wondering how much do you feel like zoophilia is now integrated into the dominant society? Also, having been very low-tech like some other anarchists, I've never had much interest in establishing contact with zoos on the online forum. I've been aware of my sexual identity since I was a child, but for the most part, it's simply stayed a sexual identity through most of my life, without my actually acting on it most of the time. This is difficult, and most anarchists get enough persecution from the establishment that I felt it if I really did get into zoophilia, I would just be putting a bigger target on my back. So I never did. Mm. Hope you are all well, and I love your show. Oh, thank you for writing. Uh, so it seems like it's it's coming from a few different directions. So I guess let's let's kind of take it in order. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first question they asked was, uh, how do you, how we perceive zoos in mainstream society? So, mm-hmm. like we just said, you know, us popping up on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, we can use that uh, as as a way of getting to people. But uh, I think that you will find lots of counterculture using the resources that the dominant culture has given them. Oh, yeah. So I, I think if you're coming from an anarchist place, perhaps you might be more familiar with, with things like the punk scene in the in the late 80s and early 90s. They would create fanzines for, for each other and, mm-hmm. and kind of <clears throat> DIY the hell out of it. But right now, yeah. DIY looks like, hey, YouTube has a platform where I can put my stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as long as I follow the rules of the of the platform, then I can say whatever I want. Yeah. So I feel that we are definitely still very counterculture. Mm-hmm. And while we have representation in mainstream media, such as obviously Brian the dog in Family Guy. Oh yeah. Only, pretty much only fucks humans. He has a couple of dog girlfriends, and then yeah. lots of humans. Yep, that's true. Um, that's zooey as fuck, but no one really thinks about it because it's a cartoon and whatever. Brian can talk and, yeah. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I think we're very much counterculture. What do you think, kind of file? Well, I pretty much agree with that. I mean, YouTube, I wouldn't call it so much a mainstream culture area. I mean, yes, mm. a lot of people watch it, but the people who watch it watch a bunch of different things on there. And there is a community around almost any idea you can think of on there. You know, cooking shows. Right, right. Uh, puppies and kittens, uh, <laughs> anarcho capitalism. Yes, like just bread tube. Yes, bread tube. Love bread tube myself. Um, <laughs> it's so. I would consider that to be slightly more populist than, say, you know, a sh- network show on Fox like Family Guy. Mm. Um, but I think in the larger culture. Zoophilia is, for the most part, either ignored or treated as a joke. And that's partially just because, like, for most people, it just doesn't impact their lives. It's not something they need to see or need to be confronted with. And for quite a few of them, it's something they'd be either disgusted by or enraged by. 
So mm. unless somebody is going for either shock humor or some more fundamental statement about just the way loving relationships work, for the most part, you're not going to see too much of that kind of content in the mainstream. Right. Now, there are a couple of subversive things I have seen. Yeah. In addition to Brian from Family Guy, uh-huh. there's a show, I, I want to say it's called Central Park. Am I, I think of? I've heard of it. Um, yeah, there's a character who is implied to be Zooey. Uh, and oh, yeah. the way that they talk about it is just, just the passing line was like, you know, <laughs> being romantically interested in a dog is totally cool. Nice. Um, and, you know, that is maybe a joke, but mm-hmm. maybe it's also subversive. Um, we know that there are certain TV shows that were highly influenced by zoos who worked on them. Yeah. And I don't know that we just necessarily want to talk about that because we don't want anyone getting in trouble. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, some sci-fi shows that are influenced by the Zooey writers on them. Yes. Um, Neutral is good when it comes to this sort of thing because it sort of takes the right. takes the mystery out of it and just makes it as another part of the world, which is really all that I want. So. <laughs> right, exactly. So you, you talk about how you have a sense of persecution for being an anarchist mm-hmm. on top of being a zoo. So I think this is something that you might think about called intersectionality. Yes, I had the exact same thought. Yeah, this is where, you know, two p- multiple parts of your identity combine to affect, you know, kind of like the ways systems of, of oppression kind of entwine and, and entangle. So, yeah. you know, for instance, you may... Uh, you know, it's not really said whether this person's male or female right. or trans. Or, yeah. um, but let's say, for the sake of argument, you're a male, uh, white male, mm-hmm. but obviously you have a sexual interest in animals and you're an anarchist. So those are two things that are less dominant. So mm-hmm. obviously the sexuality is a persecuted one. And then with an anarchist, depending on, you know, what, what you mean by mm-hmm. that, you may find yourself in a hostile political environment, which could be a disadvantage if other people knew about it, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you might be found to not be stable for a certain work environment and things like that due to your more radical political beliefs. Mm-hmm. So the way I think about that is that everyone has multiple things that put a target on their mm-hmm. back. Almost everyone. There are a few people who have no targets on their back mm. and fuck them. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. The sort of person who doesn't have a target on their back has one basically because they don't, because everyone just hates them for having <laughs> so much advantage. Though, yeah, yeah, that's true. Why would I? You it's know. still not the same kind of target. Oh, no, it's not like, I don't care that I have a target on my back because I'm too powerful. Exactly. Go ahead and shoot. I don't care. <laughs> Watch, see what happens. I'm not going to say you should uh, pursue a zoophilic relationship if that's not something you're comfortable with mm-hmm. or if that's not something that's realistic for your life. But I think what you will find is that all zoos have something else yeah. that is holding them back. Uh, mm-hmm. For the most part, anyway. I mean, I'm sure there are some that are really well off and doing just fine. Yeah. But, um, but you know, poverty can be a factor. Mm-hmm. Race can be a factor. Yep. Gender can be a factor on top of zoo sexuality. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, you don't really have a lot of community because, um, you know, online is kind of this this area where you kind of are low tech probably as an anarchist so that you're not tracked by say the government or Google or things like that and that's understandable Mm -hmm. however connecting with other zoos whether it's online or in person or something 
is probably going to have a significantly positive impact on your self-perception um, and your relationship with other animals in general. Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about it a lot this episode, you know, how other people in our lives have uh, have positively affected the way that we interact with other animals. So mm-hmm. I think that's about all we can say about this email. Pretty much. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty in-depth couple of questions, so... Of course. Uh, thanks for writing in, Dog Star Days. Stay, be- stay defiant. Uh, we've got time for one more, and you know what that means. Ooh, it's going to be a long one. Elk, yeah, it is. Here's one from Rainy Guy, which he's allowed a- us to abridge for time. Rainy writes in about living with repression. They begin, Short time listener, first time messenger. The culture of caring podcast really struck a chord with me, and I wanted to chime in. Ah, shout out to Love Cat and Canis for making that one happen. I didn't have a good start as a zoo. I overheard the term bestiality. Months later, while visiting my dad for the summer, it popped into my head while web browsing and I typed it in. That was the first day I discovered dirty stuff was on the internet. The first day I felt arousal. The day I found furry. And the day I got caught. Oh no. I was 14. I didn't know 40 tabs could freeze a computer and I didn't know how to turn the damn thing off. It was bad. My dad and his second wife started treating me really different. Church and Bible school became a sudden thing, frequent checks on my browsing history, and in time, his wife started hitting me with with my father denying it ever happened. Not that I wasn't giving them an attitude, we never got along anyway, but I never forgot the shame, self-hatred, guilt, and overwhelming confusion about it all. I was a freak. I was going to hell. I deserved to be mistreated and had to squash down those sinful urges. I became bitter, withdrawn, jumpy, thought I was misanthropic, pushed people away, didn't make any friends, and was very territorial about my personal electronics. But I couldn't reset my sexuality to a normal, healthy orientation, in quotes, Mm. and make myself attracted to other humans to fix these problems. I kind of did a self-imposed zoo version of the pray away the gay method. That plan pretty much imploded when my when a sweet little lab girl came into my life. I lived full time with my mom. She coincidentally doesn't like fixing animals, the girls at least, and a Labrador's need to be near people, unlike her shepherd's contentedness to sleep in her doggy bed, will annoy the piss out of her. <laughs> so, this little blonde temptress slept in my room. Uh, and I gotta say, it's a weird feeling when the subject of girls comes up in a group of high school boys, and you're probably the only non-virgin and definitely the only one with a live-in lover. Still, <laughs> <laughs> I felt guilty despite the fulfillment and lived with unending anxiety of being caught again. I have never felt that safe space. Not just for zoo, but political views, entertainment, fashion, bisexual interests. Both my parents have insecurity and control issues. My mom has gotten better, but my dad and I haven't spoken in years. But growing up with condescending authoritarian parents that have made homophobic remarks doesn't go away. My only real interaction are through anonymous usernames and like many millennials living with a parent at 28, it's the only real financial option. Very recently I was able to put plans into motion to move out and support myself. A human can adapt to their environment no matter how stressful, even enough that they want to go back to it after leaving. So after so long, living in a repressive environment, I'm nervous of how I'll change without it. How will I decorate with no one else's opinions? How will I dress? Will I want to make friends? Will a magical pride parade come dancing out of my butt? 
Can I listen to this podcast without getting paranoid about Bluetooth overlap? Or, most intimidating of all, will I keep carrying that environment to punish myself and not be able to change one fucking bit? I know many people have it worse. Many have it better. What I do know is I'm not the only one tired of hating themselves for being zoo and for wishing they were born, quote, normal. So maybe someone shares parts of my history and can know that they are not the only one with these anxieties, fears, and hopes. Because I don't believe anyone can name this monster alone. Mm. Sincerely, Rainy Guy. Wow. Ooh, well, that, that's not a good environment. Um, uh, well, Rainy Guy, I, I have to say that although my upbringing was relatively light on that sort of repression and judgment, mm. I... I do understand to some extent what it's like to wish I was normal, wish I could change at a whim because I'm just not clicking with the people around me the way I feel like I should. Right. And this sort of issue is common among people in queer circles, yeah. I mean, zoos included, because you spend all this time in a relatively unsafe environment, putting up these walls and making up this new false part of yourself to try to fit in. And then Mm. once you're out of there, the question is which parts of yourself are the real ones and which parts are the ones that you put up to stop from getting hurt? Right. So that's going to take a lot of self-reflection and Mm. help on your end I mean personally I would recommend reaching out to other zoos or other supportive people to just talk out these sorts of issues because I'm sure that at least some of them can either sympathize or have had those sorts of experiences themselves and maybe you can help each other get through them right support groups are are always very helpful in in dealing with these sort of things just like you said you you know it by yourself in the situation you're in no one can really get through this sort of thing alone yeah um and so thank you for writing in that we could share that with others but also don't forget that you also deserve that support and so mm-hmm. you know i feel I, I feel compelled to say again you know zookommunity.org is small enough that you might find it easier to interact with people so yeah. i recommend that as a resource um mm-hmm. I recommend definitely leaving the house. Absolutely. Um, That's a good first step. Definitely get out of the environment. I I think you might be surprised with how well you do outside of that sort of control. And I have an additional recommendation, although obviously it depends on you and your situation and your comfort. And that would be finding a therapist of some kind or Mm, someone to talk to on a professional level. Not because... You know, there's some diagnosable something there, but because it's it's a good environment for getting these sorts of things off of your chest. Because after all, a therapist is legally required to keep things confidential. So generally speaking, there's very little risk. The worst thing they can do is say they're not comfortable and stop there. Right. So I think 
what you could do if you're looking for a therapist, look for queer resources for therapy. Yes. And start there, because mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet that you're going to find that most queer resources involve people who understand sexuality and the difficulties involved with that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's been a few months since this letter came in over the summer, and I hope you're finding your new home to be the liberating experience you need to better yourself, Rainy. Of course, and I hope that Zoot can be a positive force as you transition from feeling trapped and insecure to a new life that you can live on your own terms. Zoos, never forget that you aren't alone. Community is so important precisely because that feeling of isolation and enemy can destroy us. Yeah. Uh, up next, maybe this song about getting gangbanged by 14 werewolves will help you feel a little better. <laughs> and later we'll hold our memorial ritual for the people in our lives who are no longer with us, whether two-legger or four. Yep, roll that beautiful zoo tape. time of fright, but my delight just grows. Cause in the blue moon, everyone knows, werewolves stop for prey, staying in the shadows. My heart's racing from fear and shame, or is it excitement I feel? And in these woods, I can be their game, though I shudder to name just what I came for. I hear their howls, I see them thrall, I feel drool drip down from their jowls. The sharp white teeth, the massive sheets, the clothes on Dish and a first rate lay. The big fat knots overtake my thoughts till all that's left is lost. The teeth and claws won't give me pause as they take me in their paws and roughly thrust. I hear their howls, I see them growl. I feel drool drip down from their jowls. The sharp white teeth, the massive sheets, the clones on me, and I can't breathe. I find the sad, hypnotic, and ironic as I present them my barren blushing body.
ghouls and goblins to the sort of Ask Zooey episode that only happens once in a blue moon. I'm your mistress of the bark, Zooey. And I'm the zookeeper, Toggle. We have a very special guest joining us via teleconference this evening. Please welcome Wistful in Washington. Thanks, I think. Now, as I understand it, Wistful, you're having some boy trouble in your life, and you've reached out to Ask Zooey as the only place to get reliable advice on cross-species romance. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. You look a bit pale. Are you going to be okay? Yeah, I'm just... I don't know. I'm fine. Well, okay then. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us all about your troubles. Well... It all started when I had to move in with my dad in the middle of nowhere up in Washington. My mom married some asshole and I couldn't stand to live with him anymore. Ah, yes. That's always a tough situation. Honestly, Washington wasn't too bad. Dreary and gray, just how I like it. But there was this one guy in school who was like, kind of mysterious and aloof. I really kind of liked him, but he seemed grossed out by me. Wait, this is in the past, right? Like, a while back? Yes, I'm an adult now, jeez. Okay, just making sure we had all the right waivers signed. Anyway, so one day, I'm walking around near the school and I'm almost hit by a minivan, but the gorgeous guy jumps in front of it and saves me. Wow. From across the parking lot in an instant. Oh, wow. Right? I try to thank him and he's all like, I'm dangerous, you shouldn't be friends with me. I told a friend about the incident, and he said that the aloof boy actually was dangerous. Ah, I see. Sometimes people need someone to help them open up to others. But I think it's usually wise to heed your friend's warnings of caution, particularly if they confirm exactly what the person said about themselves. Well, I did some research, and it turned out that the aloof boy was a vampire. Oh. Hmm. But he only drinks animal blood, not human blood. I have some issues with that, but okay. It turns out he was actually super into, like, my scent or something, and he was trying to protect me by keeping his distance. You know, this story kind of sounds familiar. Uh, True Blood. Ah, yes. The Suki Stackhouse novels. That's what I'm thinking of. So we totally fell in love, and it's pretty great. But then some other vampires come after me because I'm delicious or something, and I'm like, geez, maybe you should just turn me into a vampire so you don't have to protect me all the time. But he won't. Well, with something like vampirism, there may be factors you really need to consider before committing to something so permanent and, uh, eternal. Your vamp partner may actually be trying to spare you from a fate worse than death, so it's not something you should commit to lightly. It's just because he thinks vampires don't have souls. That might be something to consider. Well, anyway, we're all hanging out and I accidentally cut my finger and his family basically goes ballistic because, you know, irresistible blood or whatever. And suddenly he's like, I don't love you anymore and I'm leaving. Uh, All this after saying he was going to commit suicide if something happened to me. Oh, time out, time out. That's, uh, oh, wow, that's, that's not cool. Listen, danger aside, there's... Anytime someone in your life is threatening conditional suicide, that is a red flag. There is significant potential for an abusive dynamic to that relationship. This is a way of controlling you by holding their life hostage. It's guilting you into compliance. There are a lot of things here that are potentially problematic. Your life is in danger. He's emotionally manipulative. Will you guys shut up and let me finish my story? God! Wow, okay. That's fair. Go on. So anyway, I start getting close to a friend while working on motorcycles with him. He's really handsome and kind and warm, but... 
you know, I'm still kind of into my vampire boyfriend. Hmm, so a love triangle begins to form. But then, all of a sudden, his family is like, he's sick and you can't hang out anymore. Uh Uh-oh. It turns out that he's a werewolf. Oh. Right? But I'm thinking, geez, werewolves kill people. But it turns out that werewolves are guardians who protect people from vampires. That's why he doesn't like my vampire boyfriend. He actually saved me from a vampire attack as a wolf. Hmm. Well, perhaps I'm a little bit biased, but it seems like having a boyfriend who can protect you and turn into a wolf at will would be a fitting choice. (sighs) Well, things get a little complicated from here. I started doing risk-seeking activities, and I was going cliff diving with my werewolf friend. Oh, neat. Nasty used to do that. But one of my vampire boyfriend's family members thought I'd killed myself. So my boyfriend traveled to Italy to have some higher-up vampires kill him. Jeez, this guy does not seem very stable. It was a romantic gesture he couldn't endure without my love. Uh, It's not romantic, it's unstable. Ugh, you guys just don't get it. Anyway, he tries to make them mad, so we go to Italy to stop them. But the Council of Vampires is like, you have to kill her or turn her into a vampire because humans can't know vampires are real. My boyfriend's family member convinces them that I'll be turned, and I'm really down with that. But then my werewolf friend says that if they turn me, it would violate some weird pact that they had, and they'd have to attack the vampires. Okay, so to me, there's really only one rational choice here. You've got two guys you love, right? Go with the werewolf. Right, because he can protect you from the Council of Vampires, you don't have to potentially lose your soul, the Capulets and the Montagues don't have to fight, and... You get to fuck a werewolf. Seriously, you get to fuck a werewolf. It's gotta be better than fucking a vampire. Warm fur versus cold, lifeless skin. Apparently, as a human, sex with a vampire could end up being deadly. Exactly! You should choose the werewolf! Well, hold up. What kind of werewolves are we talking about here? Do you have pictures? Uh, sure. Here's one on my cell phone. Wow. Be still my beating heart, that's a hunky werewolf. Holy smokes, that is the most attractive group of wolves I've ever seen. And how about the vampire? Sure, here's one of us. Okay, hold on. Sure, he's handsome. But that werewolf, though. Wow, not only is he a hunk, so far he's the safer bet. Well, whatever. Anyway, my vampire friend doesn't want me to see my werewolf friend because he's afraid that they're dangerous. Mm, Okay, well, that sounds a bit controlling. But I see him anyway, and he tells me he loves me and kisses me on the mouth, so I punch him in the face. Admittedly, that seems fair. Boundaries should definitely be respected. Forcing oneself upon another person isn't excusable, even when you're the hottest werewolf I've ever seen. But I realized I also loved my werewolf friend too, and I don't really know what to do. Choose the werewolf. My mind isn't made up. It could go either way. If you're seeking our advice, you should choose the werewolf. I mean, they both have their pros and cons. I've heard no cons about dating the werewolf. Both are super hot, super powerful, and have promised to protect me. Yes, but one of them is a werewolf that's your age and who can protect you from the vampire council. And the other one is a controlling, emotionally manipulative immortal who doesn't seem to have grown emotionally in the century since he was turned. And the only way he can protect you from the council is to turn you into a vampire, which he admits is a terrible idea. I just don't know what to do. Choose Choose the the werewolf. Honestly, I think I'm going to choose my vampire boyfriend. I want to live with him for eternity. Well, ultimately, that's your choice. I think it's a bad choice, but I'm just a rat co-host for a cross-species dating advice program on a zoophile podcast. What do I know? However, if you'd like to put me in contact with your werewolf friend, I wouldn't mind trying to counsel him through his grief. Yeah, no, I I want that number two. Will you text it to me? Um, sure, whatever. 
Well, that's our show, dear listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to answering all your Zooey relationship questions next episode. Keep those submissions coming. We'll see you next time on Ask Zooey. Same zoo time, same zoo channel. Tonight, we gather while the veil is thin to call to those we love on the other side. Those who share our history, those who share our souls, those who share our hearts. We call to you who have passed beyond. Come and return to us. Hear our stories as we remember you. For in remembering, we let you live again. Who would like to go first? Lucy, you were the one who opened my eyes to the possibility that I might be Zoo. The hours I spent giving you belly rubs were the only time as a teenager that I didn't resent being dragged around by my parents to visit friends and relatives. You were a beautiful dog, and you gave me my first canine kiss. For most of the time we knew each other, I was too blind to realize your affection was a gift given by a dog whose family didn't truly appreciate her. I regret not being around for your last days in this world. When I was too much of a coward to offer you a better home after our dog passed away, I gave a home to another beautiful girl. Maybe you would have liked her, or maybe you would have hated her, like your human said, but I had to put her first since I was her human. I'm sure you'd be happy to know that at least she receives the love and affection you should have. I'm so sorry that I took you for granted, Lucy. May you rest in peace. We will remember. We will remember. Gunner. Bella, I miss you both so much. You both were such amazing dogs, and I miss you both each and every day. I wish you could have stayed with me forever, but I know that you both had to leave, and that was the hardest thing I had to do. But I knew that you needed to be free of the pain and hurt. As you took your last breaths, I felt a piece of my heart shatter, and my soul cried out for you as you slowly crossed the Rainbow Bridge. I wish I could have followed you, but you both told me I had to stay and to help others, and I did, and I have. I still feel your energy around me, and I know you watch out for me, and I thank you both. I love you both so much, and I promise I will never forget the love and friendship you gave me. I can't wait for the day I can stay with you both forever. I love you both with all my heart. We will remember. We will remember. I know many people in society, and even in the zoo community, do not see how people can treat a creature as far from humans as a bird or chameleon as part of the family. But my mother seemed to care about them like little else. First, Dinky, the chameleon. He lived for five or six years and pulled through many diseases. It is amazing that he lived as long as he did. My mother really loved him. She made sure there was an entire row of seats in the car on any family vacation so Dinky could come in his cage. She took Dinky with her after her divorce, and she is fairly shy, so Dinky was the only real interaction she had for several years until she remarried two years ago. She is an independent woman, juggling two jobs, not really having time to visit her own family, Yet every time she spoke to or about Dinky, she seemed as charming and innocent as a small child. Dinky did not do much in return, and 
terms of showing affection. But he did not need to. His presence, coupled with my mother's interest and passion for all kinds of lizards, was enough. Second is B. B is the last of the family of chickens my mother entrusted me after her divorce. She lived for six years, while the other three all died off from diseases and predators. Having lived with me most of my life, I have more to say about B than Dinky. You can probably guess how much they both meant to my mother, judging by the names she gave them. I can remember the years where I would feed and water Boo and B every morning, and she would sing with a gentle and followed me around the pen while the males screeched noisily and would only get near me if they were trying to pick a fight. Songbirds would always come and steal some of the seeds I gave her. There was a time when a storm tore the roof of her house off and she was the only one not to run off. Lots of good memories. I do not know how she survived so long, but I am glad she did and I fear I took her presence for granted these last few weeks as my uncle came over to take up a great deal of the caring job. We have not yet told my mother about the fate of her last chicken, and I do not know how we will. Whenever she would visit our house, we would not even know for the first half hour, since she would be out spending time with B before she came in to see her human family. From knowing B and other hens, I can see why people use chickens as therapy animals. I think this story shows that, while the commonly presented human-animal bond is with a higher mammal, fulfilling relationships can be had with creatures as distant as these. People think that because their minds are so distant from how ours work, a connection is impossible. But my mother and Beast show that this is not true. Even Dinky, who did not have much to offer in terms of affection, though I would not say that around my mother, was a good match for my mother because he simply did not need to love her back. His life was benefit enough. Goodbye, being dinky. You will be missed by my mother and I. We will remember. We will remember. Michael Johnson was among the kindest, most genuine people I've ever been lucky enough to meet. His lust for life and dedication to everything he did made him a beacon of light in this presently dark, terrifying world. He was a true friend of every creature that got to meet him. Michael, I know you now have the best view, for your tail runs next to our gorgeous mountains. You will be missed more than you will ever know. Blessed be. We will remember. We will remember. Angie, my first dolphin lover, and I shared a relationship together until she was brutally murdered in front of me. I still deeply miss her, but I cannot change the past. My most recent dolphin lover, Sarah, whom I just lost earlier this year to a boating accident, will also live in my heart forever. I will cherish every moment with her until I die. Angie and Sarah were my whole world. I saw them on an almost weekly basis, but now that can't happen. My sweethearts, I miss you so much. Not a day has gone by where I neglected to think of you. I find myself being brought to tears every now and then, knowing I'll never see you again. As much as I wish I could change the past, I know that'll never be possible. You both were my heart and soul. You brought me out of deep depressions that I hope never return. You brought me happiness in more ways than I can begin to comprehend. 
and I know without a doubt I did the same for you. I hope the afterlife is real so I can see you two again when my time comes, as far away as that may be. I promised to keep you both safe from harm and I failed at that, but I know in the end it wasn't truly my fault in the grand scheme of things. I thank you for being the great lovers you were. Angie, I love you with all my heart and soul. I miss you and will think of you forever. Being that you were my first dolphin lover, I can't say enough about how you saved me from my deep depression. I love you, big girl. Sarah, I love you with all my heart and soul as well. Being with you brought me great happiness, as I know it did you as well. I truly miss our three-hour-long cuddle sessions that we had almost every week. I'll see you again when my time comes. We will remember. We will remember. Julian was 11 years old when he left this world. I still remember that morning, the last time I saw him. He was so happy, but I know he would want me to remember him fondly. There was never a day in his 11 years of life where he wasn't happy. I got Julian when I was 8, and I still remember that day. My parents and I were going for a walk, and I saw this beagle puppy. He was sitting under a park bench. He wandered up to me, and I leant down to pet him. Of course, I asked my parents, and they said we should keep him for the night. So we took him home and bathed him. He was malnourished. We took him to the vet the next day, and the doctor said we should take him in. I agreed, and so did my mom. But my dad said that it was a bad idea because we owned a cat and they wouldn't get along. Thankfully, my mom convinced them to let us keep him. I still hold that day in high regard. It was the day I met my best friend. He still lives on in my heart. We will remember. We will remember. Matilda was a four-year-old goat doe I rescued from a guy who was planning on cooking her up and eating her since she wasn't useful to him anymore as a milking doe. I didn't want her in that situation anymore, so I bought her from him, tried to do the best I could to make sure to give her a good life where I'm at. I'd never had a goat before, so this was definitely a different venture for me. Um, I'd have to say, though, she was extremely patient. I, she had the patience of a saint. Um, she had a very sweet personality. Nothing really seemed to phase her. She was always pretty headstrong about things. Um, she just seemed a lot happier to be pretty much anywhere but where she was before and we kind of grew up I'd say somewhat of a bond um, she'd come on command to wherever I was she'd follow me to anywhere um, she put up with a lot of like you know wacky shenanigans I'd put like a bandana on her and he had told me that she was pregnant but he couldn't really tell me how far along she was or anything because this guy didn't give two craps about animals at all i had her for a good four five ish months um within two months of me bringing her home she actually gave birth uh, surprised me i was at work at the time and my landlord calls me and tells me you gotta get here quick you gotta get here quick she just had her babies I'm like oh shit and I, the boss lets me out and i jam over to the house as quick as possible and there they are, these two adorable little goat kids look just like a couple of bunnies, and... Well, 
unfortunately, within almost three weeks after she had him, she got pretty sick. I, the vets still don't know what the heck it was. Got to the point where she couldn't get up. She laid down. She couldn't get up anymore. So I got her into the trailer and rushed to the vet as quick as I could. They just put her on a glucose drip and said, well, we'll see what happens. She'll stay overnight if you want. And they told me it was going to be kind of expensive. It'd save you a lot of money if you just put her down right now. And I told them, I don't care what the hell the price is. You figure out what's going on with her. Let's get her through this. And two hours after I left, they called me and said, she's gone. Come pick her up. So it was definitely not news I was ever wanting to get. Ended up taking her to a spot I never got a chance to take her to, but when, you know, when she was still around. So I buried her there and carved her name into a rock, and that's where she is to this day. Uh, I think she must have known that something was going on with her, because she actually weaned her kids within a couple of weeks, which normally is not good, but here it is, eight months old now, and they're both happy and healthy. And that's Matilda's story. Gretel is another goat I rescued. I actually rescued Gretel with her brother, Hansel. None of these goats I rescued had names when I got them. They were just... goat. <laughs> so, Hansel and Gretel. Figured I'd name them that, because, hey, they were saved from the witch's oven. I had a person who was supposed to take them in right away when I got them out from where they were, and he had them for no less than two weeks, and he calls me up telling me, oh, these goats are just too much for me, and I can't do anything with them, and they're eight months old. I mean, what do you expect? So I pick him back up. I have them both with my other goats, and they were doing great. I had Gretel and her brother here for two months, and Gretel started to develop some symptoms that were absolutely terrifying to me. She seemed to be eating normal, acting normal, but she started to get lethargic also. And of course, this is hot on the heels of Matilda passing away, so I'm panicking, thinking, holy crap, what the hell is going on? Am I going to lose another goat? And I keep a close eye on her, and I notice that she's getting stiffer. And I realize she can't even move her back anymore at this point, so I'm panicking now. I take her to the vet, and she's still walking around, seems happy, but not right. Come to find out after the vet checks her out, and unfortunately my own hunch came true, she had tetanus. And the vets told me that her chance of survival was pretty much zilch. She's not going to make it. Put her down now. And I'm thinking, she's eight months old. She's still a baby. I told them, here's what I think you can do for her. I've talked to a goat expert who's given suggestions of using a tetanus antitoxin, keep her on a glucose drip to keep her her intake up since she's going to have a hard time swallowing. They had me sign a bunch of stupid paperwork of, oh, well, your goat's going to die, and you understand that. And Well, she stayed overnight, and she was still doing okay in the morning. In fact, she was actually doing better. And they told me they were amazed that she was actually going to pull through. And she was doing well enough that they felt comfortable having me come pick her up to bring her home and keep her going on the treatment. And apparently in the short drive over to the vet, her health completely nosedived. They told me that there was nothing else to do at this point, and normally I will give any animal I have every fighting chance possible for them to recover, but tetanus is not a fun way to go at all. 
and I had to make the call to have him put her down. She didn't want to go. They went to give her the injection, and she kept trying to get away from them and run back to me. So. We will remember. We will remember. Zane, my first companion from puppyhood. You taught me the ways of German shepherds and the muzzle-paw battle game. I taught you the rules of pants and of getting doors opened. You loved your walks and always knew when it was bedtime. A condo had such sweet kisses and incessant whines and ambushes. All who met him knew his stunning white fur and golden eyes and that derpy ear and charisma. Fewer knew his heat and power celebrating life. He was a big boy. I knew best his warm kisses, fur everywhere, loves of tummy rubs and munching cookies and hundreds upon hundreds of miles of walks. Banshee the Protector, chosen as a companion for a condo but ever concerned. She lived for nothing but my approval, was depressed in my absence. Her ears always back when her deep brown eyes met mine. Remember her warmth on my pillow on cold nights. Ever alert for danger, squirrels, cats, and neighbors. I bear scars from her exuberance. I will remember you, Banshee the Protector. I'll remember you, Akondo. I'll remember you, Zane. We will remember. We will remember. Zeke, the best part of you was the RPF. That's right. Resting pity face. Every morning, afternoon and evening, at any given time, that infamous smile would find me and my world would explode with exultation and it would be impossible to not return in kind. And so I find myself smiling, spreading your life to everyone. Every memory of you, no matter what we were doing, is filled with laughter, smiles, and most of all with love. I remember the generosity of your smile and your heart. We will remember. We will remember. Rexy, I met you when you were a year and a half old, and for eight and a half years following, I loved you completely. You were more than just a cat. You were more than just the only friend I had for half a decade. You were my spirit. You were the living embodiment of my highest personal principle. When you came out of my closet in which you'd been hiding after I brought you home, tentatively and timidly, and realized, finally, that you were safe, that you were home, that changed me. I didn't know just how much until after you had gone, but the moment of realization that I saw flow through you as your fear departed and you became what you remained for the rest of your life, a being whose fundamental self was love, simple, pure, and warm. I realized that was also my fundamental self, the self I am when my fear departs. You were my spirit made manifest. I loved you so much. When you passed away in my arms at home, too early, too goddamn early, I held you as you passed. I inhaled your last breath. I kissed you goodbye. And I took your true name as my own. 
I miss you. I miss you terribly. Beautiful green eyes. Your exquisite tabby coat and striped tail. Your meow. Your weight when you'd lay on my chest. The way you'd wait at the door for me to get home from work. Your love bites. Your sweet pink nose. Your companionship. You. I love you. I'll always love you. You are my friend, my guide, my spirit, my little man, my other me. We will remember. We will remember. Doug, I think about you a lot. We've already done a pretty great memorial for you, but while making this Halloween episode, I started listening to some of the outtakes from last year's Halloween, and I just couldn't stop laughing. I'm really glad I got to record a lot of our goofy moments together, because I get to hear you make me laugh over and over whenever I want to. You and your story came into my life at exactly the moment I needed it, and I wouldn't have done any of this crazy shit without you. I don't care how anyone feels about you, because the positive impact you've managed to leave behind in the last year of your life, and the people involved in this project that you inspired to try harder to be better, means a lot more to me than all of your character flaws combined. You were a huge fucking dork, and you drove me crazy. Thanks for spending time with me. We will remember. We will remember. Let's take a moment to honor Allison and all of the other zoos who have left this world early by suicide. Though you did not get to see how things played out, I hope that the future we create in your honor is positive, so that no one else has to die because of how cruel this world can be for zoos. I hope that the pain, the sorrow, and the hopelessness you felt is soon a distant memory for our community. We've got a long way to go, but we're going up from here. Your struggles are near to our hearts. We will remember. We will remember. Take a moment to remember and honor your loved ones on the other side of the veil. Remember all the wonderful memories you shared with them. Remember the brightness they brought into your life. Tell them the things that you always wished you could let them know. This is your time. We will remember. We will remember. Our stories are told, and our loved ones are here with us. Through us, they live forever. And at this time, we can feel them closer than ever. Ancestors, lovers, friends, stay with us and guide us with your love and wisdom always. We will remember. We will remember.
Thanks, friends, for listening to Zooier Than Thou. Join us next episode as we head home for the holidays. If you're a traveling zoo, we'd love to hear from you. It'll be coming out on the next full moon, so don't miss it. You can subscribe to the podcast via our Zooey RSS feed. Just point your favorite podcast client at rss.zoo.wtf and off you go. You can also check out our extensive bonus content at bonus.zoo.wtf. We can be found all over the web where podcasts are distributed. Try searching for Zooier Than Now in your favorite podcast directory. Our podcast's website is still zoo.wtf, as in, what the fuck? I could have eaten out a dog's ass just by summoning a demon? Our Twitter is at Zooier Than Thou, and you can follow Zooey's naughty advice at AskZooey. Follow Toggle at One Big Grumpy Rat, and follow me at Dearest Doggy. A reminder that we have a form that enables anonymous submissions to the podcast on our website, zoo.wtf. You can send us the incantations for summoning your favorite horny demons, ask Zooey for advice on cleaning werewolf drool out of your bedsheets, or tell us that you are a proud Nazi and your favorite shitty YouTuber sent you. You can also simply email us at mail at zoo.wtf. Or drop your letters at any unsanctioned ballot drop box. Let's see what they think of your zoo mail. Share this podcast with your local coven so that they can have a magical Halloween along with you. All non-humans who contributed to this podcast are not actually supernatural creatures in disguise. They promise. He that speaks well of the mayor will bet her. I'm Conophile, and the DM is always right, even if he's not. And I'm Toggle, and I definitely give a rat's ass if you're a cute zoo. And you've almost finished listening to Zooier Than Thou. Stay defiant, fellow zoos. We'll see you next time you feel like howling at the moon. Thanks again, beloved Zoo Nation, for once again listening to the latest episode of Zooer Than Thou. Christ, could you have made that <laughs> What the what fuck? What are you jealous? You just say the fucking line. You know, every time you tell me to do that, Toggle, that line's going to get longer. Yeah. You know what? I just realized that I left some words out. Let me start again. <clears throat> and, beloved Zoo Nation, my friends. <laughs> my Romans, my countrymen. That's what I was trying to remember. Romans, thank you. Friends, <laughs> Romans, countrymen, something, something. Bring me your bean burritos for thou art uh, smitten. Uh, zooier than thou or something, something. Toggle doesn't have balls. Toggle, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your line starts our next episode. Do you want me to read it for you, Toggle? Our next, okay, here we go, Toggle. Follow after me. Our next episode is coming just in time to celebrate. <laughs> Did you really write in the line, come get poopy with us? Toggle. Spoopy. Spoopy. Toggle. Uh, Toggle, we need adult supervision around here because this is, you, you spent too much time with the kids on Twitter. Okay. Come on, pull yourself together, okay, goddammit. So. This serious business. All right, go.